Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, I always get excited during football season. You and I get to do this more frequently. I feel like we just sat down and did this show. We'll try to make progress from where we were last time I saw you, which was 1.30 in the morning Sunday or something like that. I'm not sure exactly. It was late. Well, the good news right now, as opposed to June and July, is we actually have something to talk about, whether it's good or bad, it is something. So therefore, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and in favor of that as well. We're speaking with somebody that travels with the Florida State football team who was pleased when the announcement was made that the Louisville game is a 12 noon game because he gets to come home at a decent hour and actually get a good night's sleep. And I thought, I hate that the radio crew is not traveling to the games this year, but I will admit that it's rather nice to not land at TLH at 4.48 in the morning and then drive home and then do a show as you and I used to do. As we used to do them sitting in my pickup truck. And uh, Coach Norvell mentioned that uh, there was a delay getting back from Notre Dame Saturday night, Sunday morning, and that oftentimes can happen as well. So that just adds to it. it uh, but it's nice to know it's nice to know you've got your priorities in order, that uh, you want the noon kickoffs regardless of what that does to everybody else. But I congratulate you on that. Well, I realized I was getting old a few years ago when everybody complains about the noon kick. And I'm like, let's just play it get it over with. I can watch the other games the rest of the night, see the family, but enough about me. Let's talk about <laughs> FSU, Keith. So we dissected the Notre Dame game. I still feel upbeat about what I saw. Now I know the defense, we probably didn't dive as deep as we could have or should have the other night about the defense and fixing it. But I do continue to appreciate and like this staff. Uh, I like the direction that things are headed. It's just going to be a slow process. If you go back and look at the plays that Notre Dame gashed the Florida State defensive on, first of all, it was the same play four or five times. You you would hope moving forward that that can be dissected on the sideline and something could be changed. But there were two or three opportunities where it had been a difficult feat, but there were missed tackles. And so it wasn't – there were a couple of times there were missed assignments or wrong angles. But sometimes the running back just defeated 
the individual charged with tackling them. That's going to happen in ball games, and that's going to happen when good teams are playing average teams. And let's be fair, right now Florida State is an average team, and Notre Dame is anywhere between a good to a very good team. And so you can take, you know, if you take five plays away from that defense in the first half, and I know we can play the what-if game all the time we want, or even three plays, then Florida State's effort is much different. And you didn't ask this, but if you convert the touchdown on the last drive that Florida State had in the first half and don't leave so much time on the clock, and as Coach JP said, don't make a bad decision on that sky kick, you could gone into gone into halftime down by six or eight, and you scored on the first drive of the third quarter. So again, we're being half full, trying to be positive. They're closer. Are they as close as they need to be? No, but they are closer, and you can start identifying things instead of just saying everybody and the season is lost. To your point about if you change five plays. We've heard that from now four coaches, those kind of comments. And so it rings hollow if you don't feel like the team is getting better. I'm talking about Jimbo saying inches away or whether it was Taggart, 10 guys did the right thing, one guy did the wrong thing. But the reality is, Keith, when you're an average football team and you're not at the level Florida State was for so long, those things show up in the win-loss column. I always – you think about referees. The only time FSU fans complain about the refs – is when the team is in close games like this. When it's 2013 and you're beating everybody by 35, 40. No one cares. Not, there's nothing on my Twitter timeline that indicates anybody's unhappy with the refs, you know. And nobody talking about the missed call in the Miami game that caused them to lose or the missed call in the Notre Dame game that caused them to lose because the other side of that equation is when you're losing by that many, it really doesn't matter either. So you are right that if you get – it's consistency, and Coach Norvell talks about it. You need to be more consistent, more plays. If you get 50 out of 70 plays, right, that's not as good as if you get 60 out of 70 plays, right? I mean, it shows up on the scoreboard. I want to go back to your point about the sky kick and the sequence before half. As the game unfolded, in my mind, I wasn't critical or really second-guessing Mike Norvell about the clock management. In retrospect. Maybe I could have. Certainly he came out and was very accountable for it, as was John Papuchis. And my main takeaway is I appreciate the accountability. We've seen a lot of coaches, not just coaches here, but if you get asked that question, the answer is usually a defiant non-answer that won't acknowledge that they might have made a mistake. So or, some or might they do one of two other things. Number one, they blame it on the players. Or number two, they basically look at you and say, you wouldn't ask such a stupid question if you didn't know anything about college football, so I'm not even going to address it. Right, so they turn it back on you. So I appreciate the candor. I do think – and well, let me, you react to that first, and then I'll share my next thought on, on that sequence. Well, I mean, you know, he owned up on it, uh, did Coach Norvell. The only thing that I have a negative feedback on is – I'm used to, and I don't know if this happened or not happened, but I'm used to the special teams coach uh, asking permission to do something. In other words, if it's fourth and two from the 31-yard line, the special team coach is not making the call to send in the kicker for a field goal. And I, I didn't – I wasn't on the call. I didn't ask the question, and I'm being hyper, hyper, hyper critical. 
but I'm just wondering how much uh, leeway uh, JP has on making that call if Norvell signed off on it or was it just his? And, and I just find that interesting, not in a negative way, but just interesting on how authority is delegated versus the old timing way. And I don't know the answer to that. I wasn't on that call either. Did Coach JP call it on his own or was he mad at himself because he suggested to Norvell, hey, I think we should do this in a way that Norvell said, yeah, go ahead, let's do that. And, and I don't know. I don't know either. Here's what I was going to say. So I appreciate the accountability. I also do think that when you've got an offense that is far from perfect, I mean, as, as much improvement as we've seen over two weeks, it's still the same offensive line. We're still wondering how many playmakers are out there. The quarterback's doing a better job. But it's rough around the edges. So you have to balance clock management and how much time are you leaving with well, we do need to score, so let's actually run the plays that we think can get us in the end zone because we're not settling. I mean, we can run it three times in, up the middle and kick a field goal, and there's no time left, but is then you're down 28-20 if you do that. But I don't know if that's the best message compared to saying – Exactly. exactly. So that, that's, that's why I, in the moment I wasn't that critical in my mind of Norvell, and I, I just think that's about – this is not the Jameis 2013 team where you could say, you know what? let's just fall down on the football twice in a row and run a minute off the clock. And then Jameis will throw a 28 yard touchdown on third down as the clock expires. I mean, you have to try to score. I'm wholeheartedly with you to the point that I really didn't think about it until coach Norvell brought it up. In other words, you and I did not really talk about it in our first, first look show. It just, it didn't register with me because I'm going, once you get down there, you're doing everything in your power to score. We're not good enough to manage the clock right now, even though that's what we want to get to. So I, I appreciate, though, that Norvell, again, repeating myself, that he was accountable, but also that he thinks that way. He's a very sharp football mind. I think people are starting to realize that. Everything is with a purpose. And so I think as I'm around him, I, I realize that a little bit more. I mean, I've known that. So he's self-evaluating and looking at it and saying, you know, I, I could have been better in this moment. So it's a self-scout. You improve and you move on. But I still think, I mean, your playbook, it may have 500 plays, 100 plays, whatever it has. If you can only run 10 of them well, it doesn't do you a lot of good to call play number 85 in that situation. Not at all. Not at all. And if you've not had success, I'd, go, I'd like to go ahead and score that touchdown on first down and not waste two downs and try to score it on third down. Right. Well, and on first down, now I want to be fair, uh, that was the first down play that was a little slant to Terry, right? That was a high throw that he didn't catch, but he, he should have, I thought, in my mind. Now, Terry, also in my mind, I thought it was the best game he's played as a Seminole, so I want to give credit on that. But my point is, you call a first down play, was the throw a little high? Yeah, but you teach your quarterback, you know, it's either your receiver or it's going out of the end zone. I thought it's a ball that Terry should have caught, and then we're not having this conversation. Exactly. Uh, the good news is we've got some things to be picky about because uh, we didn't lose by 38 or whatever. So we're going to go with that. How long you want to kick the defensive conversation down the road, Keith? Well, I mean, it's only an hour show. Here's the thing, and we'll come <laughs> back to it in another segment, but here's the thing, and, I, and the, this just kind of dawned on me, and maybe our listeners will think that I'm crazy. But you'll know when this defense is playing the way – that the staff wants them to play 
by looking at the participation chart. Now, they can say all they want to about when they arrive at the level they want to be at, that, you know, they're going to play a bunch of people. Well, right now, they're playing a bunch of people because they're not at the level they want to be at. And They're, they're looking you, for answers. They're looking for answers. And so when the participation chart on defense shows that 28 people played, you'll know that the staff is not happy with them. When that number gets down to 18 or 17 or 16, then we can start being hypercritical of the defense, and then they can start working on getting some other people some reps because they know they've got that 18 or 17 or 16 that they can rely on. And again, our listeners may think that sounds crazy, but your, your comment is right on. They're continuing to look at people to come in ballgames for them. They've not settled in very many positions. Well, we have to balance that this is four games for Norvell and staff versus four years of frustration for Florida State fans who want to look at it and say, well, Blackman was doing that in 17 and 18 and 19, or pick a player. He was doing that three years ago too. I don't think it's fair to expect that the coaching staff, not to expect them or to even want them to come in and say, well, they told me you can't do this, so I'm not even going to see if that's true. I'm just going to make that determination based on three years ago or the previous coaching staff. So I don't think it's a fair criticism to say that they're not willing to change. We're four games in. I've, I've heard comments about people saying, I don't know what took them so long to get to Jordan Travis. Okay, he started the fourth game of the year. He was hurt the previous week, even though he came in. Otherwise, he would have started that week. And he missed. And he only half practiced a, about five practices during fall camp. Or he might have been the starter week one. So I don't think we can say that they're not open to change. I mean, they made a change at quarterback. They've played. Oh, no question. They've, they've played freshmen on the offensive line and defensively. I'll finish this thought, Keith, and then weigh in. It's easy to say you need better play out of the safeties or you need to move parts around. But if you look at the three deep for the safeties, the three deep from the start of the season, well, Travis Jay's hurt. Hamza Nasraldeen's still hurt or not back. And Cyrus Fragan transferred, left the team. So you have half of your three deep. So which guy are you going to move? And then does that mean you're just going to roll with the other two for the rest of the way? I mean, it's just well, not by as... the way, one or two of them are freshmen, true freshmen. Yeah. Obviously, so... Jay is a red shirt. Here's the most interesting comment that came out of Tuesday's press conferences. And I, the more I listen to him, I've not met him yet. I don't know that we'll have a relationship. I don't know if he would even like me or we'd get along. But Kenny Dillingham is a pretty astute young coach. Someone asked him a question about something, and he answered it this way. This will put the 2020 season in perspective. He went, man, we played Notre Dame. That was our sixth scrimmage of the year. <laughs> Six scrimmages in one year. Yeah. I was flabbergasted. That, well, that explains think, everything to me. Nobody wants to hear this right now because we all want the easy button. We want the quick fix. But it was really bad timing that when Jimbo left, it was the first year of the early signing period. And Taggart and Florida State had to wear that as, as well as every other program that changed coaches because you just didn't have enough time to save recruits and save the recruiting class in 10 days. And then not only did that repeat itself, because FSU is the only program who's changed coaches twice with the early signing period, 
But then you get the first pandemic in a hundred and however many years and you have no spring practice. And so that's, that's just the way the cookie crumbled, so to speak. And everybody else had to deal with it. But if you had the same staff in place, if you already had your program culture where you wanted it, you were in better shape to weather that storm than a program that's needing to change the culture. Without question. Norvell's not going to say it. The staff's not going to say it and they don't need Nor should they. Nor should they. Nor should they. But that's just the reality of it. All right. We're done with first segment. We will get to defense. we got a special guest lined up later on instead of you and I talking about it. Not that you're not an expert, Keith, but you're not an expert on defensive line play, I don't think. Well, there were those that would look at my girth at this particular point in my life and think maybe I should be. But, yes, experience-wise, I'm not. That is correct. I need to send you a picture, by the way. So maybe two days ago was the 40-year anniversary of your win over Pitt when you picked off Dan Marino, and there were two other interceptions by FSU in that game. So I saw the headline come across, and I retweeted it. Because the, the, the original tweet said this is the anniversary of FSU's historic win over Pitt. Florida State had three interceptions, blah, blah, blah. So I retweeted it. I said, safety Keith Jones, who had one of the picks and still owns the football to prove it, later in life went on to star in the wildly popular Front Row Knowles radio show and podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take that picture and I'll send it to you. And that, folks, is what Twitter sounds like when you read it uh, as part of a radio program instead of reading it on your phone. All right, we'll take a break. <laughs> Come back and we'll get to Bob Frante, our Osceola Insider, right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. We are joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Always good to see Bob. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Bob, we got a lot to discuss, but I want to go back to an article you wrote late last week on the Osceola because I think it's it's still worthwhile given Jordan Travis played pretty well. But it was the comment from his high school coach, Eric Kresser. I guess you talked to him last week, who's a former Florida quarterback. And you can probably articulate it, but let me pull it up here. I, I made a note. He, he said – uh, he's not a gap filler. He's the guy. He's the answer. I, that might be a little bit loose, but I mean, that's those are pretty strong comments because Travis pretty quickly got painted as to a gap filler or kind of a seat seat filler. Now we've seen two games and it's a nice body of work. And I won't bore our listeners with these details, but I'm going to take my answer off the air and I ha- I'll be back in about 10 minutes. So fire away. <laughs> You know, I, I thought it was really interesting because uh, Eric Kresser's a guy who was a quarterback at Florida back in Steve Spurrier days. And so he spent some time in pro football and then you know, got into the high school coaching deal. And, you know, in, in working with Jordan, Eric decided that he had to make him a pocket passer first. And the reasons for that are you want to help him develop as a passer, not just as a, a dual threat quarterback. But also, you know, selfishly for them, they didn't feel like they had a chance. They, they, they couldn't have Jordan Travis get injured. They couldn't run him so much 
that you have the fear of not having him in practice in a game or two, whatnot. So the goal in, in Eric's view was to develop him as a guy who can make all the throws. And, you know, I, I think that was pretty smart as far as a quarterback's development to learn from a guy who's been there and done that in the college level at, at Ford and Marshall. And then he's got some experience for what pro coaches are looking for. But it was just a little bit of an interesting glimpse, especially because he has seen more of Jordan Travis than any of us. You know, we saw the spring game. We saw the bits and pieces here and there. But we never really saw enough to get a great look at Jordan Travis until really these these last, you know, seven quarters of football. So I think now we're kind of seeing that guy, what he can do, what his limitations are. Um, he's a great, you know, runner, um, but but a great passer on the move, on the run. So we're kind of seeing a little bit of what Jordan can do. And I, I think that's uh, – that's kind of changing our viewpoint of, of what we see in Jordan. Bob, I wasn't on that conversation you had with Presser, but let me suggest this and you tell me whether my thinking is correct. One of the reasons you do that with a young quarterback is because throwing the ball from the pocket, your footwork is unbelievably important. Your ability to reestablish a spot, your ability to step through the throw. Throwing the ball on the run is just a natural instinct. There's not a lot of coaching there. So by taking him as a youngster and working on that footwork and now listening to Coach Dillingham talk about what do they work most with with Travis, it all comes down to the footwork because running quarterbacks do have a difficult time keeping their feet where they need to be in a pocket environment. True or not true? Yeah, I agree with that. I kind of asked Eric the, the same kind of thing. You know, why is he such a successful thrower on the run? And he said, well, first of all, Jordan's an athlete, a guy who played football and baseball and basketball. And he kind of made the analogy to, you know, yes, Devin played you know second base and probably played a bunch of different positions growing up on the baseball diamond. But you can kind of see, you know, Jordan's got a little bit of that he probably played a second base or a shortstop and he, he was good on the move throwing the ball. And you can see him on the basketball court, a, a good distributor type. So yes, I think that's where we see Jordan is, is very advanced, what he can do when on the run and, and where he definitely needs to improve. I think Pat Burnham has mentioned this and, and you picked up on it. A lot of people have seen it when he's in the pocket He's got to work on the footwork, but also what he sees because he's seeing the whole field as a pocket passer, whereas when he's on the move, they're really limiting him to just a, a fraction of the football field, whether it's half or, or just a specific read. So, yeah, there, there are progressions, literally and figuratively, that I think Jordan needs to make. And, and again, going to this game, he had only thrown 45 college passes, and he's a redshirt sophomore. So we have to realize this is a guy who's got, what now, almost 70 college passes. It's just not a lot. He's really learning on the fly, and, and we're really going to see where he can go from here. One other thing to be nitpicky, uh, there was a particular play when he tried to get the ball down the field to McDonald, the tight end, on a corner route. Now, for our listeners that, that can't quite envision a corner route, the receiver is going to be turned to the sideline because they're running to the corner of the field. Travis threw the ball back on what would be a nine route, where the receiver is turned back to the middle of the field. 
that little miss was because McDonald, oh, he's very athletic. He couldn't get turned back around, find the ball, and get to it. That's a missed throw. And I use the analogy because I'm horrible at golf. But one of the things they tell you about golf is if you don't have enough reps, the first thing that leaves you is your short game. Not your driving, not your long irons, but your short irons and your pitching wedge. And he missed that pitching wedge that he probably will make that throw two or three weeks later very easily. He went to the right place. He was throwing it the right way. He just barely missed it. That's what is uh, the direct result of not having enough reps, my opinion. I think that's also very fair. And at the time, I wasn't sure, was it a, was it a miscommunication as far as an option route? Um, it, it definitely, that's definitely one where, where Jordan wants to have that one back. And we're seeing there's not a precision with his passes just yet, but it's, it's going to take time. It's, I think I, I've used this term growing pains throughout this season with you know, various position groups and a team as a whole. And I think especially with Jordan, we're seeing a lot of positives and a lot of growth, but we're also going to have to understand that these are part of the growing pains of a young quarterback who's trying to feel himself out in college football, but also a new offense. I mean, this guy has had to learn, as much as we talked about with James Blackman learning new offenses, Jordan Travis has done it too between Bobby Petrino and what, what Taggart and, and Bryles were working with last year and now this year with, with Norville and Dillingham. So he's trying to absorb all of it too, and it's just it's going to take time. Here's another little interesting tidbit. Tell me if you agree with me or not. When you have a quarterback that, that flushes out of the pocket, maybe quicker than he should, we know right, at least right now he's more inclined to try to get out of there and do some things. That brings in the old adage that we throw around, the scramble drill. Well, the scramble drill affects the receivers a whole lot more than it affects the quarterback. And Coach Dillingham was even talking about the fact that if Travis is scrambling and the wide receiver is standing still, that ain't going to (laughs) work. So the receiver's learning how to play with a quarterback that flushes out of the pocket, how to break a route off. If you're deep to come back, if you're in the middle of the field, go to the outside. If you're short to go deep and learning what they need to do to give him a target is also part of the learning process. Yeah. The receivers have kind of brushed us off. Like it's not as big of a deal, but I think in in reality, it's much, much different because you know, Jordan's on the move. Um, quite a lot. And, and it, it sounds like, um, I think Ron Dugan's made this point on Tuesday when he was talking that you have to add it to practice as a segment or you have to work on it after practice. You have to make this a really big part of, of your teaching so that wide receivers know it's, it's coming every day in practice. It's coming on Saturdays and be ready for it. And, and that communication that, Hey, look, you know, that, kind of, you know, unspoken communication that when the quarterback's doing this, the receiver knows I need to do that. That's, those are the kind of things that you have to develop and it develops again over time. I think, I think they'll get it. I I think it's going to happen. And um, something we can look forward to, I think is watching is that further chemistry between quarterback and receivers. The point, the point of all of that is there's some, a great deal of upside. I mentioned a comment that Coach uh, Dillingham made in my first segment with Tom. I'll mention it to you as we transition to the defense. 
um, I've, I've learned to really pay attention to what Kenny says, because though he's a very young coach, he's a very bright coach. Someone asked the question, and he said, well, look, guys, the Notre Dame game was the sixth scrimmage of our time here at Florida State. Point being, the defense hasn't had a lot of time to scrimmage live either, and they've been underperforming, but they are getting better. Right. Yeah, I think that's is a really important observation. I'm not sure enough of us wrote about it and really kind of pointed to it. But from a defensive standpoint, it means you're not tackling very much. Like you didn't tackle in the spring. Uh, you didn't tackle very much maybe in the preseason, whether that's COVID reasons or not. But time was lost as far as implementing your scheme, building chemistry, um, tackling. All these things. So we've seen defenses across college football are way behind. Look at the point totals that everybody's giving up, even great teams like Florida. Um, Alabama's given up a ton of points. Um, Who knows how good North Carolina is defensively? But they won in a shootout against Virginia Tech the other day. Everybody across the country is trying to figure out, A, how do you stop the other team? B, why aren't we tackling as well? And I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons for it, but I think I think all these defensive coordinators are just trying to figure it out. And maybe the only answer is it's going to get better over time because the more games, the more opportunities to you know get used to your scheme, get comfortable, the better you're going to play. Well, in today's college world, the way offenses are run, it's impossible to get pressure on the quarterback. I don't know if people have really processed that, but from the shotgun, whether it's the pistol or whether it's naked, you're already back there. You know, in the old days when you were under center, to take a three-step drop is going to take you about a second and a half, second and three quarters. Out of the shotgun, you can get rid of that ball in a second. Now, that's, that's not a lot of time, but that's twice as fast. And then if you went to a five or a seven-step drop, you know, you are now at 2.3 seconds, 2.7 seconds, maybe even three seconds on a seven-step step drop. Well, you're flushing the quarterback at two, uh, at two seconds. If you're the quarterback, you're flushing at two seconds out of the shotgun. It's almost impossible to get pressure in the traditional way. Being able to move off the center, being able to flush, getting your hands up is what the defensive lines have to do these days because there's just not physically enough time to do anything else. I think it frustrates you as a defensive lineman because you're, you're rushing all day long and you're, you feel like you're not getting anywhere. And that was, I think, my one you know, criticism over the last few weeks are we haven't seen sacks from that front four. Um, Force it only has one sack total in the three FBS games that they've played. But also you're not putting your hands up. You're not – blocking you're not knocking down passes Um, we're not seeing tackles for loss either I think there was one tackle for loss against Notre Dame so it's a lot of different things you're you're not affecting the passer to use that that favorite Jimbo term I think it, it was hey if you can't sack him at least do something to make him uncomfortable whether it's you know pressure putting your hands up and knocking it down but we're just not seeing that. We're not seeing it from the front four. And, you know, yes, it's, it's guys who are double teamed. Like, yeah, Marvin Wilson's getting double teamed all day long. But that, 
that means somebody else is getting a one-on-one and he's not getting the chance to affect the passer either. So Florida State only gets better on defense if they figure out how to make that passer uncomfortable, even though they are getting rid of that ball so fast. Maybe the hope of sacks, maybe the hope of those big totals like we last saw in, in 2013 and even far before in the 90s with, with Wilson and Bullwear. Those days are probably long gone just because of the way college football has gone schematically. But you got to put some pressure on the passer. The other thing that they, they, the Florida State defense, did do a little bit more of in the Notre Dame game is disguising coverages. And we've had, Tom and I have had this conversation, you and I have had it off air. You know, if you, even if you're in zone coverage, you can walk a man up and play bump and run in zone and make it look like, and you can take away some of those early slants. And we, for, for the first time against Notre Dame, I saw Sam Asante, I saw on the backside, they would walk up, and then as the quarterback looked around, was making an adjustment, then they turn and back up three steps, or maybe they'd start at three steps and walk up in the traditional bump and run formation. And that also causes the, the quarterback to make decisions, good, bad, or indifferent, relative to what he's seen, you can't start doing those types of things until you're comfortable with the coverages you've run. And Florida State finally started disguising a little bit of that. I'd like to see more of that. I think especially at linebacker in those Notre Dame tight ends on on those crossing routes were kind of eating up Florida State's linebackers. You want to see a little bit of redirecting, a little bit of bumping, you know, throwing you out of rhythm somehow, do something. Because we're going to see tight ends all year that are going to capitalize on, on Florida State over the middle of the field, whether it's a seam or, you know, quick slant, crossing route, whatnot. Um, between Brevin Jordan to the Notre Dame guys, they're, they're going to take advantage of those opportunities. And, and Florida State's got to get in there and, and be a little bit more physical because you can. And, and the rules allow you to. I, do it. Just fix and say, I, on our first look show, you know, it's 1 o'clock, 1.15 in the morning. Tom and I are putting that show together. And I made the comment to him, and I probably made it a little too emphatically, but, you know, in the college game, there is no rule about hitting a receiver five yards after he down the field. And so when those tight ends are crossing, even if you're in zone coverage, don't bump them, knock the crap out of them. There's no rule against that. And, and we were just letting them run. Uh, it, it, it gets frustrating sometimes. I'd rather have a few – um, holding or pass interference calls because people are being aggressive than letting them run free. And, and I'm fine with it too. I mean, I think we saw, you guys might have talked about this too, but Asante Samuel Jr. had, you know, the penalty on that kind of bump and run coverage. You're, you're going to get that. And that's, I have no problem with that kind of high effort one-on-one penalty. No problem whatsoever. It's that kind of lazy penalty, the the, the brain was parked in neutral and you weren't thinking, or the Jaden Lars would be clocking somebody on the sideline when they've already stepped outside and it's a 15 yard penalty. Those are the kind of penalties that you hate. The ones where you're putting in out your maximum effort and it, Hey, it's just, it's just good football. I'm okay with that kind of stuff. Now I know Miami has uh, stumbled. Hey, I'm a back bit. fellas. Just so you know, I'll say hello. I'm sorry. Yeah, I missed the best segment in the history of front row Knowles. Well, go away and be quiet for a minute. <laughs> Last question for me, Bob. I don't remember a time where Florida State I – know, I know Miami has stumbled a little bit, but I don't remember a time where Florida State has played their first five games 
in which three of the teams were in the top 10 and in a couple of cases in the top five. Have we any solace in that or, or can we take anything away from that? I mean, you know, Miami and, 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 and Notre Dame and North Carolina are pretty good teams this year. And Florida State is competitive in these games. They're not getting their doors blown off like, you know, past years against, um, you know, some of the top five, top ten teams. So does it show that you're close as a program? You know, to the, to the Bobby Bowden adage, where you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, then you win big. Is this a sign? Is this a sign that Florida State is kind of moving into that lose close, trying to win close scenario? It's it's possible. I, I can't recall Florida State playing, you know, this many high-ranked opponents in a row. People will say, well, Miami wasn't that good. It was early. Clemson exposed them, whatever. That's a good Miami offense. It's a good Notre Dame offense with how many draft picks on that offensive line. And some great running backs, great tight ends, NFL quarterback. I mean, Florida State's playing some really, really good offensive teams. So, yeah, I think you are seeing just how good Florida State is against, frankly, some of the best teams in the ACC. All right, Tom, you can go now. He is Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. I, I was happy to sit out that segment. I gotta. I think I should set this up weekly. I could. I could minimize how much time I have to spend with you, Keith. Thanks, Bob. Take care, guys. All right. Have a good one. We'll take a break. Come back. We will uh, talk more about the defense with an expert when uh, Front Row Knowles rolls on. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. I appreciate Keith. KJ, I owe you uh, for carrying the load last segment there. Our next guest doesn't even realize I had to duck out for a few minutes, but I'm back now. But we are uh, we're pleased, Keith. No offense to have a real expert on the program now to talk about the defense. A true expert. <laughs> Corey Simon joins us. Corey, of course, uh, played at FSU in the late '90s. Part of the Wire to Wire team, All American, first round draft pick, FSU Hall of Famer. Did I leave out any bullets, Corey? Did I cover everything that was required per the? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You agreement? got it. Got it. You've got it done. You've got it done. The checks in the well, mail. The, the better part. The better part is he's he's to be a defensive lineman. He's a really really nice guy. Now he was not a nice guy between the white lines, but off outside of that, he's a really really nice guy. <laughs> we all we all have to have that switch, and and uh, mine goes from nice guy to crazy real fast back in the day. Corey, it's good to see you and good to catch up. Uh, it's been it's been a little while. I missed when we were doing the little halftime hits over at Doe Campbell Stadium. That feels like a lifetime ago now. Yeah, we got to get that back. We got to get back in there, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And I think we can, uh, I think we can get Kirby to let us back in the studio. All right, hopefully he's listening. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I wanted to reach out to you. I've seen a lot of dialogue, and I've actually, I've seen several former players who have been and and. I, you can weigh in on this. Former players are just like fans to some extent. Some are going to be really positive, glasses half full. Some are going to be horrified at, at what they they see. But I know you've been you've been pretty positive about it. And I think the reality is, 
it's not going to be an overnight fix. We're, from Monday to Tuesday, you're not going to go from where Florida State is to where we want Florida State to be. So let me stop there and just let you weigh in on what you've seen from the defensive line in particular or the defense overall so far through four games. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. With, with, with former players, it, you know, the fandom doesn't stop, right? Uh, we're still fanatics about our program. And, and sometimes we uh, – I, I know I had a history of – on Saturdays, my reaction is totally different than my reaction on, on Tuesday. And so, um, you know, we, we, we have to kind of set things aside and kind of put things into perspective. And, and uh, as I've gotten older, uh, I've been a little bit better at, at uh, uh, reacting a lot less emotional and, and more, uh, more, you know, thought-provoking um, arguments for why something is happening or why something isn't happening. And, and as I watch this defense and the defensive line in particular, um, there's a lot to be said for missing an entire spring. And I think you're seeing that around the country. Uh, defenses aren't exactly going out there and, and, and shutting folks down. Um, and, our, and our defense uh, right now is in that same vein. Uh, they're, they're struggling. Um, you know, you see it, especially with big guys. Uh, folks don't understand – that you just can't turn it on after being out so long. Um, and just because you did something last year is just going to mean you just take off from that point and just go do it again this year. Uh, there's a lot of preparation that goes on in between last season and this season, and they miss an opportunity, and it's hurt a lot of those guys. Um, I, I think of Corey Durden in particular. You know, when you watch him last year, he's a lot quicker player. He was a lot quicker player. And I think, you know, uh, he's put on a few pounds that he's, that he's uh, got to work to get off to get back to that player. Um, one of the things is you have to realize what kind of player you are. And some of those guys are, uh, you know, your, your, your run stuffers, your, uh, your, you know, guys that can go out there and just muscle guys. And then some of your guys are your quicker players. Um, and, and that's Durden. He is one of those guys that operates on those, that fast twitch, um, you know, uh, platform and he hasn't been able to do that this year and I think it's because he's carrying a little more weight than he than he needs to um and that offseason that that missed off that missed offseason that workout that consistency uh that accountability um you miss that when you're not around the team as much and and with this whole COVID thing um I, I think he's paid the price for that and I think the, I think they all have quite quite honestly up front um not being able to work together as much as as they should or could uh, in the past. And so that's what's really hurt us on, on the defensive line front. I think if you go back one step uh, with our linebackers, I mean, you know, it's, it's, we got to flip the roster a little bit. And I think they're trying to get those younger guys in there um, and, and get them more, you know, Lundy's seeing more playing time. Dix has played a, a lot um, and they're going to make mistakes and you have to, you have to grow through those things and understand, listen, this isn't the end product uh, for these two players. Um, you know, but Warner and Rice, they, they've struggled. They've struggled to, to hit holes. They've, you know, Mickey used to have that, and Keith, you know this, Mickey used to have that saying, you got to have that knock them back in you. And uh, they just don't, they don't have that knock them back, you know, and, and Rice used to be a thumper. I, I, I just don't know what's happened um, uh, to, to their ability uh, to, to close gaps and, and, and come up there and play aggressive. And I, I don't know if they're thinking too much or it's just, um, you know, it's just paralysis through analysis for them. But we've got to get guys working downhill, shutting off gaps. And when you're there to make a play, make a play. And, and that's what you saw on Saturday night. Guys just missed opportunities to make plays. 
Corey, one other thing that I've been uh, promoting, preaching, lying about, some of our listeners would say, is the game's changed. I mean, you're 20 years removed. I'm 40 years removed from the college game. There's a whole different mindset and skill set as a defensive lineman when you know the ball's coming out in a second and a half and you can't physically get to the quarterback. How you place your feet, where you place your hands, even to the extent of getting your hands up and cutting down some passing lanes, that's a completely different game than run, stop, they're not running, get seven yards back in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and, and I made this point, I think on social media with folks that are looking at sack numbers, listen, as a, as a former player um, and as someone that's coached kids, you know, I'm not worried about sacks. Sacks are tough to come by, but in this current atmosphere and, and, and how quickly the ball is coming out, I'm more concerned with pressures and quarterback hits because those are the things that affect the quarterback's ability um, to think and process information. If they can sit back there and, and take their time and work through their reads, uh, they're going to be a whole lot more uh, efficient than if they have to go back there and have to worry about a guy knocking their head off. Um, and so we've got to, you know, and I, and I think, you know, Fuller and his staff has done a, a, a great job, at, at, especially last week, of dialing up those pressures because we're not getting it from those front four. Um, the way we the way we'd like to see uh, generating pressure, and so if you can't generate it through your through your front through your down four, um, you've got to call a lot of blitzes, which opens you up in the secondary. And you know we've we've struggled, especially in that in that linebacker position of getting into coverage positions to make plays. And so um, I, I think there's a few things that are going to help us, and I think we saw that on uh, on last Saturday uh, with Miko Dodson getting uh, coming back. Um, I think he's able to really sew up that boundary side, uh, that boundary corner uh, position that we've that we've struggled really to find someone to be consistent, um, which allows for us to put uh, Sante Samuels back in that field corner position, um, which he's it's much more comfortable for him. So, you know, I you know, I, I a lot can be said about this defense, but scheme isn't one of the things that I'm going to complain about right now. We've just got to get guys out there all on the same accord, taking proper angles, making great tackles, wrapping up, wrapping up, wrapping up. That's the, you know, it's, I, I don't knock know. Them back, knock them back, knock them back, knock them back. I don't know where it went wrong, where, you know, I watch it and it's, it's in the NFL too. And, you know, see it all over. Everybody's going for the kill shot. Nobody wraps up tackling anymore. And, and so you're just not going to thud a guy down on the ground, especially when you don't have great technique. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's those types of things that, you know, we, we can sit back and, 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 you know, defensive coordinator is always going to be the easy target. But if you see guys get into spots and they're just not making plays, that's not on the defensive coordinator. That's on the, that's on the player. And, uh, and I think these players need to, uh, you know, either either buy in or buy out. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's a lot to be said right now that I think these guys are, are feeling the pressure. Um, the thing that I like about what Norvell is doing is, is he's allowing some of these guys to, hey, you know, just throw your, throw your name in the, in the transfer, transfer portal and we'll move on. That's what we got to do. And, uh, and, and you got to have everybody on that roster that believes in what you're doing. And, and you know, sometimes we, we gain more by losing some. What do you see out of Marvin, Corey? You know, so with Marvin, is it, I think he's come in – and I think Marvin's in good shape. I don't think it's an out-of-shape issue for Marvin. Marvin is just, uh, you know, I, he's got great strength upper body, 
but his feet tend to be a little slow and get stuck in the mud. And you can't muscle everybody. And you saw that this past Saturday with that Notre Dame line. You got, you got that Notre Dame line that a lot of those guys are going to be NFL draft picks. And so you've got to find alternate ways of getting pressure, um, getting your feet in the ground, and, and striking a blow. And, and gosh, if I see another guy, you, you, it's so easy to bull rush a guy because when you get tired, that's the easy way to go is the bull rush. And, and I, I just it, – it puts you in a bad position because you get locked up chest to chest with a guy and they're not going to – they're going to grab you. They're going to hold you. Holding is only a, a penalty if the flag comes out. If, if the flag doesn't come out, it's just a good block. And so there's – I know Marvin's one of those guys that are getting stuck on blocks at times and it's not allowing him to make the plays that we've seen him make. Um, and so he's got to get back into that attack mode where he's coming off the ball and just wreaking havoc and stop looking in the backfield and trying to make a play. Um, you know, the play is going to be there, but you got to get rid of the guy in front of you first. And, and, and that's always been the case. That's what Odell has preached from day one when I got to Florida State and, and he took over as a defensive line coach after Coach Amato, is you get your hands on, him, on folks and then you get rid of them. And, I, and we've, had, we've had too many opportunities where uh, not just Marvin, um, those guys are getting stuck on blocks and – those offensive linemen continue to run their feet and, and you find yourself not being able to make a play. You have to clear yourself, beat the guy in front of you and then go make the play. And uh, we've just had too many, uh, too many of those times that when watching the film, um, he and others are being, you know, getting stuck on blocks. Any legitimacy to the fact that everybody knows who Marvin is and they're either running away from him or double teaming him? Well, he's, he's definitely getting double teamed. I, I mean, and you got to expect that. You don't, you don't come into the – listen, I've, I've been down this road coming into my senior season as an All-American. They're not going to give you the easy road, right? That's, you know, just like Marvin's going out there to, to make his case uh, for being a, a top draft pick and one of the top uh, players in college, uh, college football. That guy across from you, those guys across from you, they're making their bones to say, listen, this is what I did against Marvin Wilson. This is what I did against Corey Durden. Look at me. That's the, that's the game film. I tell my son that all the time. I say, listen, you can be at a small school, but when you go play a Trinity Catholic or some of those larger schools that have this talent and that have folks that are going to be looking at them, you have an opportunity there to jump off the screen. And that's what these players are doing. They're, seeing, they're, they're, they're taking their opportunity to jump off the screen when the NFL teams start to take a look at, at guys to draft in the, in the latter rounds of, of a draft. A guy may not be on their board until they watch him play against a Marvin Wilson. And they say, oh, man, we may be, maybe we need to go get this guy. He did an excellent job against, you know, against Florida State. So, you know, it, it's, it's understanding that it's fine and great to be a preseason all-American but at the end of the season <laughs> that all-American list is going to come out again and that's the real all-American list right that's well, the, I'll, that's the I'll, I'll really you good. know that I was a three-year preseason all-American Corey I wish we had more time for this but but we are running out of time but speaking of all-Americans it's come to my attention on social media that you're apparently an all-American grill master is that right I mean, I see you're you're posting pictures. You got two smokers going at the same time. I mean, what's what what's the what's your go to? Oh man, I, I you know what? I don't really have a go to man. I just enjoy being out there. I, I tell you, it all started for me. I, I was uh, I've been 
I've been running Pop Warner here in the in the Big Bend area for almost 10 years now. And uh, it's the one place that I said I'd never get buried behind the grill. I wanted to be out, you know, in the park and watching the kids and all of that. But what I realized after dealing with enough parents over the last 10 years, I can see where this is going. peace at the grill. And the so they don't fuss at you, do they? They can't, the they can't fuss, fuss at me at the grill. If they, they come over trying to fuss, I put a hot dog in their hand and they're happy. And so, you know, it, I, that's my place of peace. It's, it's solitude. Uh, there's no negativity at the grill. <laughs> Oh, I so love who it. says football players aren't smart, KJ? I mean, Corey's learned. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. In all fairness, I had Corey in class. First of all, that's how young he is and how old I am. And he was a very good student, but he has never forgiven me for actually implementing the attendance policy. Oh man! Hey, as long as I get the work done, man, why do I have to be there? There we go. There we go. That sounds like a real life conversation now that many of us are working well remotely from home. Like, why do we got to go back to the office ever? We're doing just fine on our own. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Corey, it's good to catch up. Uh, uh, Your message is is patience. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just relax. This this staff will get it fixed and they'll get it figured out and get it fixed. I think we've got the right people in place. And 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 Norvell is, you know, he is the CEO of this program. And, and I truly believe that uh, that he'll get us moving in the right direction. Sounds good. He is Corey Simon. Good to catch up, Corey. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Good to be with you guys. Thank you. Take Thank you, Corey. Wrap things up right after this. I was flying. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. As we welcome you back, thanks to Bob Frante from the Osceola and also Corey Simon. Good to catch up with him. Just wanted to get – I mean, Corey has been there, done that. He's played the position. We really could have done – I should have invited Corey on for the full hour. We could have gotten a little more detail than what we just did. But clearly he knows of what he speaks, Keith, when it comes to defensive line play. Well, not only that, um, and this broadens it, but he's he's become a very influential figure in the Tallahassee community. He mentioned the Pop Warner stuff. He spent time at McClay. Uh, he visits with the other local programs. Uh, I mean, he's he's become invested in our community uh, through sport. And obviously our listeners know that have been around long enough what a great player he was, how well-spoken he is, a family man. Um, and he's just a good person. I know we use that term a lot, but uh, he's a great ambassador for Florida State football. Speaking of great ambassadors for Florida State football, good news about Bobby Bowden. Uh, You and I are recording this segment early, but uh, reports that he was going to be discharged from TMH on Wednesday, and uh, that's good news. Very much so. I I actually called out to the house and talked to Miss Ann earlier, and uh, (laughs) this is is so typical of the Bowden family. I said, Miss Ann, is Coach Bowden available? And eight minutes later, I told her who I was. (laughs) I mean, she just went in to where he was and what was she doing. I don't know if she recognized my voice or not. I'm flattering myself if I think she did. And my point being, 
that's just the way their family is. You could knock on the door during dinner time and they would invite you in to eat with them before they asked you what you were doing there. Yeah, uh, we've all got stories. And uh, fortunately, we don't have to share those right now, I guess. I'm, I'm glad that uh, he's, I mean, he turns 91 in a few weeks. So he does, he does. That, that is good news. All right, Keith, North Carolina this week. Uh, man, it's going to be, it feels like it's going to be a basketball score. Just like it, it was does. last week for Carolina. And, it and, does. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, in this one, the first to 40 might not win because there may be someone to 40 at halftime. But, again, the motto, and I know Coach Norvell and the staff is, is preaching it to the kids, improvement. Just get better. Improvement. Don't worry about the scoreboard. Worry about the play in front of you. Go in at halftime. Make your adjustments. Come out and play better. Um, we can't worry about the wins and losses. We'll drive ourselves crazy if we do. we got to worry about are they getting better. AJ, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.